It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, sweating my way through another week in London town. Coming up on today's episode, it's Wednesday, so it must be PMQ's Unpacked. Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson going toe-to-toe. In the House of Commons, we pause the action with Tim Shipman, political editor of the Sunday Times. That's coming up in just a sec. But first, as ever, it's our columnist panel. It's Wednesday, so it must be Crampon. It's Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. First of all, Alice, I want to talk about your column today, particularly, because well, I can't remember why on, on yesterday's programme, Mariella Foster and I ended up having a conversation about whether or not cats or dogs were better. And uh, um, I've got a poll running on Twitter. Dogs. Dogs, dogs are winning. Yeah, two-thirds of people. Oh, yeah. Two-thirds of people say cats, dogs. Cats. Are you a cat person, Robert? Yeah, I am. But I like are dogs. you? I used to like you, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> but you've written about animals in, in the, your column in The Times today, Alice. Um, making a really interesting point, because we talked a bit about it on the show yesterday, this, this latest piece of legislation going through uh, the Commons, the Animal, for, Animal Welfare Kept Animals Bill, promising all sorts of protection for pet monkeys and ostriches and all that sort of thing. <coughs> but you're not wholly convinced by all of this. Well, no, because it's such an easy thing to do, because unless you're Cruella de Vil, you're not going to be against, you know, lopping off dogs tails and you know doing horrible things to them and then and and it's very few animals that are going to be affected so i don't know any ostriches or llamas that have been chased and killed and even maimed in fields um and yet we're having a whole bill going through parliament to help ostriches and llamas and um puppy dogs and it just seems slightly insane but i can see why the government's done it because they're now they've got three or four of these bills going through all about animals and there is no complaint about it everyone likes it um, voters aren't going to vote against you if you want to help out animals. But what it's not doing is actually addressing the main questions, the main issues about animals, which is really how we farm them and how much meat we eat and what we're doing with them, not with how we treat our pets, because most of us are absolutely obsessed by our pets. Yeah, in fact, you write in your column, the British have a bizarrely illogical attitude to ranking animals. As I watch our puppy playing in the long grass in Devon, I couldn't imagine her being killed. Yeah, I happily look at the lambs frolicking on the other side of the fence, knowing their lives will soon be curtailed. Oh, it's a really good point you make. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not um, it's going to suggest you're, you seem to be advocating eating dogs, but mm. uh, it's a good point that you make, Alice. Well, it's only because they look identical. So our puppy looks very, very similar, really, to a lamb, and yet you know you might end up eating the lamb. Although actually, I now don't really eat lamb myself. <laughs> I'm too surrounded by them in Devon. But I do think it's an extraordinary. I think it with our tortoise as well that we, you know, we're incredibly nice with tortoise. We spent hours, you know, feeding it strawberries and doing stuff with it. And then you see all these cows in the field nearby who are far larger, 
probably more intelligent and aren't being treated as well. So we have a very odd view about it, and as does the government. So we're now going to be importing all this beef and we import um, <clears throat> from abroad, where they have far lower animal husbandry standards than we do often. And yet we don't seem to care about that, but we do care about llamas in a field. It just seems completely bonkers, really. What, what do you think, Robert? Are you willing to eat a dog? <laughs> No, I mean it's. I mean it is. It's it's illogical until you think actually it's it's fairly straightforward. We're nice to the animals that we don't want to eat. <laughs> uh, at some point, presumably in the past, somebody has tried a dog or a tortoise. Uh, some, <laughs> some how would you six, eat? How would you eat a tortoise? Do you think you just pop it open and then sort of eat it like I a guess, like a like a melon or a, or yeah, a grapefruit? Yeah, you scoop out the flesh. Don't like you? Yeah, it'd be like eating, it'd be like eating a snail, wouldn't it? It'd be like a large version of eating a snail. <laughs> But I guess at some point somebody's tried them and said no, thank you. Uh, whereas everyone, most people, uh, any sort of moral questions aside, think that lamb and uh, uh, milk uh, is particularly delicious. Uh, so that's and 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 we don't seem to care about them. I mean, I thought it was a great column by Alice. I mean, it, it's uh, these. I get more concerned about these issues as I get older. Actually, you, you start to think. The, the, these are the ones that sort of matter, and I think I think also people of my generation being really influenced by our children in this regard. My son went pescatarian at New Year, and I found myself not becoming a vegetarian as a result, or even a pescatarian. But I found myself eating an awful lot less meat, which is kind of what we all need to do. Uh, as Alice says, we need to eat less, higher quality meat. We certainly shouldn't be obsessed with making it even cheaper than it is already by bringing it halfway around the world from Australia. So the thing is, Alice, the reason it's a good column is because it's one of those things when you read it and you think, oh, yeah, you're right, I'm a total hypocrite. <laughs> it's, sort of, it's sort of, you know, it's self-revelation. Because you know, we had, a few weeks ago now, a couple of months ago, uh, one of our pet rabbits died and we went through the whole performance and dug a hole in the garden and all that. And yet, mm -hmm. if I go to a restaurant sometime, I might have a rabbit pie. Uh, and it's well, that's proper um, hypocrite. I mean, I'm not saying that I'd have eaten our own pet rabbit, but it is this very weird relationship we have with animals. But your your point about the politics is really interesting. That, you, that instead of tackling, I don't know, social care, uh, which actually would affect far more people's lives in the UK, but might be a bit controversial, the government seems to be reaching for um, the everyone loves cats and dogs bill, uh, which uh, will sell through the House of Commons uninterrupted. Yeah. And also to Carrie Johnson, so the Prime Minister's wife is a very strong advocate, not only of having dogs for dinner, but of animal welfare. And that's great. But you know, she's very much pushed this agenda. And I think in, in some ways it's a good thing. But I do think that you know, the elderly children, you know, other people need to get a look at them as much as they love pets. I think it's actually good focusing to this extent on it is slightly insane. It's good politics, though, isn't it? Because like you say, everyone agrees with it. It unites both sides. You've got your kind of wealthy... Tory nobles who are obsessed with rewilding and so forth, and then you, you've got, you, you know, your, 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 your ferret and whippet loving northerners <laughs> in the Red Wall. Yeah, and then only the pet monkey owners are going to be upset, and we know there are only five thousand of them. There's only five thousand of them. Well, yeah. I was quite surprised actually; it was as many as that. People with pet. <laughs> the only person I've ever known who had a pet monkey was Voss in Friends, and on the oh, yeah. um, on that uh, the Friends special the other day, David Trevor made it sound like an absolute nightmare having a monkey like. <laughs> Climbing yeah, up I, your, your, your shoulders. I think they're vicious so-and-sos, aren't they? They're not very friendly at all. Yeah, so, so but although we're in no way advocating being uh, horrible to the to the, the pet monkeys. Of course not. Obviously, obviously. Um, let's, from uh, from that um, important issue, really important issue, let's let's talk about... Uh, oh, slightly no, let's do restrictions first. We'll come to the Queen's portrait in a minute. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
the thing that I'm really interested in, you know, we've been on this seesaw a lot, Robert, about June the 21st, it's all mm. on, it's all off, should we wait for a bit or not? The thing that really struck me was um, in a lot of the reporting, people say, you know, because of the variant, uh, there will be uh, younger people will end up in hospital and there will be yeah. more deaths. And the unwritten implication of all of that is that we're in some way trying to aim for no deaths, which we yeah. don't do with any other public health issue. Yes, I mean, uh, there will be deaths, but I think more importantly, there will be people bunging up the NHS for two or three days on oxygen uh, at a point where the NHS is trying to clear this very lengthy backlog. But yeah, I take your point. We don't, uh, I mean, it's all, it's all, everything's a, a trade-off. Even, even uh, if we had wanted no deaths from road traffic accidents, we would ban the car, wouldn't we? Exactly, uh, yeah. And and, uh, and at some point, obviously nobody wants to have that conversation, but at some point we have to decide what, what is an acceptable level. What's enough, yeah, what's enough yeah. and what's too many. I was interested to see that. I hope Michael Gove, when he says he's not a betting man, actually means that because it's, it's otherwise it's got a whiff of insider trading about it, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there is a book on on whether uh, restrictions are going to be lifted on the twenty first or not. But uh, somebody needs to monitor his. Uh, yeah, if he's betting he's money on bet, on June the twenty first. Although, yeah. yeah, he he said he'd bet money that restrictions will be lifted on June the twenty first. But then, as we well, were talking earlier at the beginning of the program, he was the man who in December said it would be very easy to get a sausage in Northern Ireland, and that's not going. Right. That's, that's <laughs> not going terribly well either. Um, what do you think, Alice? Do we have to have a sort of grown up conversation about uh, uh, an acceptable level of deaths from coronavirus? I think we do, but also we have to remember that, as Robert said, it's, it's the cancer backlog and the other diseases that we just have to be able to get through. So what we don't want is too many people in hospital still with coronavirus. We want to try and keep that to a minimum. I find it harder that Michael Gove went to a football match in Portugal and then, you know, once he had gone, come back, you know, with his son and various other people, including George Osborne, then they shut down the entire country. And then obviously because he wants to go off again in June then, you know, it's hoping that it'll all be open again. And I've, I'm increasingly thinking we're doing this really for the ministers. And that mm -hmm. it's so arbitrary now and so bizarre. And I thought it was so insane that, you know, you have ministers going around saying no summer holidays and yet they were allowed to go off just for a one-off football mm -hmm. match. It seemed completely bonkers to me and nuts. And, and it just it, it, made me really angry that I thought, you know, I just thought it would be the worst thing to do to go and have a huge amount of fans going off. And, you know, I don't mind doing it, but I do mind if they then come back and say no one else can go. It's the usual mixed messaging, isn't it? Uh, mm. With uh, mind you, it might be worth uh, it might be worth a delay just to see Andrew and Lloyd Webber getting nicked, mightn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, and would I take another month in lockdown for that? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, having uh, every time I see a preview for his new Cinderella show, I do. I mean, the longer that's put off uh, appearing in the West End, uh, mm. the better, I think, possibly. Um, let's let's talk about the Queen. Uh, um, uh, why on earth is Gavin Williamson... Alice, we've talked so much about all of the things in oh. Gavin Williamson's intro, whether oh, it's uh, GCSE, uh, SATs, GCSEs, A-levels being cancelled, students paying over £9,000 a year for tuition they've been getting over a uh, uh, crackly Zoom, and yet the thing he's put his head above the parapet on is to discuss what hangs on the wall of a common room that students aren't in because they're in lockdown or they've already broken <coughs> up for holiday. I mean, that's what makes me so angry. Is that I, I mean, the students now are going through their finals and, you know, they've just started. They've, they've had almost no year. Nothing has happened. It's, they've been completely thwarted in all 
um, their attempts to have a sort of even vague semblance of normality at university. And yet Gavin Williamson, the only thing he cares about is, is this portrait of the Queen. And actually, I'm rather amazed they ever had a portrait of the Queen. I can't think of any students that would have had a portrait anywhere. Sure, a portrait of oh, like, Che Guevara didn't. or something on the wall. Yeah, I, I think, should well, congratulate them for having it up there for so long. I think it's just, <laughs> you know, I think it's rather sweet. They actually did it for a bit. But really, more than... Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you just don't need it. You literally, you know, and it's not important. And as, you know, as their um, president said, you know, it's quite fun for them to stir things up a bit if they want to. That's the whole point about being a student. But at the same time, it's really not up to the government who are now into freedom of speech to decide what and what you don't have on your walls when you're a student. Robert, have you got a picture of the I, Queen on your wall? I haven't. No, no, I've mislaid it. I've got a picture of Bruce Springsteen on my wall and then a whole load of... <laughs> one of my kids uh i actually think i just dis disagree slightly i think this is a actually is slightly important i mean i say that because i'm a republican and i quite if maudlin which is extremely one of the more traditional oxford colleges if they're not doing if they're doing this genuinely uh rather than to stir things up and if they had it up there genuinely in the first place which i suspect they didn't i suspect there was a bit of irony involved uh then i think it's quite it's rather significant that they're choosing to do this uh, I mean, young people are, the polls are suggesting that young people, uh, not least the Duke of Sussex, are turning against the monarchy. <laughs> yes. So this, you know, as, a, as an indication of that, this is rather interesting. But we're Gavin Williamson, yeah, I think he should have better things to do. But that we've been, I think I've said that a fair few times. Yes, it is. You are right. So there was a poll that came out uh, last month, I think, from YouGov yeah. on exactly that, showing that uh, a group... to 24-year-olds yeah. were... Yes, were, much were, more... Uh, I remember, I think there was a majority in favour of the Republic. Yeah, of having uh, an elected so, uh, head of state. So if Magdalene College, which, I mean, then that is a, it's a really, it's, you know, it's William Hague and George Osborne's alma mater, then uh, that's that does strike me as slightly significant. Although it did try, and I'm not saying the story is thin, but when the second part of the Times started listing people who went to uh, the same college. So yeah, the Oscar Wilde, interestingly. I think they should put a portrait of Oscar Wilde. Exactly. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis, Oscar Wilde, uh, William Hague, George Osborne and Dudley Moore. If it was me, I'd put, yeah. I'd put up a picture yeah. of Dudley Moore on the wall. That's, that would yeah. solve the whole yeah. problem. Um, yeah. uh, we did touch on Andrew Lloyd Webber saying he wants to get um, arrested uh, to... Um, uh, if it means he can open his theatres. Any coronavirus compliance musicals you want to share with the class? I couldn't think of any, I couldn't think of a pun, but if you think of Hamilton, I just thought of maybe just Hancock with an exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> and you take it from there. He would definitely do the pose as well, wouldn't he? Like pose yeah, punching the air. Yeah. But, and it would be a tragedy, so it would be, I mean, you know, I think it's perfect. Yeah. And there are quite a lot of songs in Hamilton that do work. So there's, there's One Shot yes. is one of them. Uh, yeah, that's very good. Alice, can you better... The Room Where It Matters. I think, actually, I think Hamilton's the one I want to go and see, I have to say. Robert Cranston and Alice Thompson there. You can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a digital subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, it's PMQ's Unpacked. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Yeah, so here we are again, Tim Shipman, braced uh, for uh, Keir Starmer going up against Boris Johnson. It feels like it's been ages since we were last here. I'm leaning forward in my chair. This is quite exciting. because Not least because there's a heck of a lot of things he could have a go at, aren't there, today? Um, I mean, you mentioned education before the break. Um, Labour's got another debate on that uh, later on. Um, that uh, court case that's just come in, Keir Starmer's had quite a lot of fun uh, having a go at the Tories for handing contracts to their mates. That's a wide-open goal for him as well. Uh, there's confusion around June the 21st and what happens next on COVID. And we've got a load of meetings going on on Brexit, which isn't going terribly well either um, uh, in some regards. And, you know, Starmer's been a little bit wary about going at that. But there's, you know, there's quite a lot he could uh, he could have a pop about today. But let us know what you think might happen or uh, what you make of uh, the exchange. You can text me, 8722, start your message with the word Times, or you can tweet us at Times Radio using the hashtag PMQs Unpacked. Um, uh, it's, a big t- it's a big week for Boris Johnson, isn't it? I mean, as soon as he finishes this, I think he's heading straight down to Cornwall uh, to get ready for the G7. Um, and, it's, uh, you know, right at the beginning of the year we were talking about, this is the moment where he sort of marks out his place on the world stage. This is statesman, Boris. <laughs> you can see him standing in front of his mirror thinking, this is my moment. Um, and he's got two of these big things this year. He's got the G7 and he's got the COP20 climate summit later in the year. It's pretty rare to have two, uh, you know, two of the biggest international events of the year happening in the same country. And, and this is his moment on the world stage. And I suspect what you'll hear um, you know, from him at PMQs is him trying to rise above whatever um, specifics Starmer comes at him with, with you know, a classic boosterist message about Britain leading the world and they you know they had a bit of a result at the weekend with this tax plan that the chancellor has pushed through um to try and tax Amazon and some of those tech companies a bit a bit more efficiently and you know their argument then was you know what's the point of Brexit Britain can it have a role in the world can it lead the way and now their argument is yes it can so i suspect what you'll see is statesman Boris at the dispatch box trying to rise above um the leader of the opposition and say whatever slings and arrows he's throwing at him are a mere small fry compared with the very, very important things he's going to be doing this week. And why aren't you asking me about those, Why aren't you Mr. asking Starmer? about how lovely Cornwall is at this time of the year? Uh, and Keir Starmer, since we last met, uh, Keir Starmer uh, has had his big moment with uh, uh, Piers Morgan, uh, which was watched by fewer people than watched the one with Gemma Collins. 
uh, uh, life Piers Morgan's life stories. And there was a poll out yesterday, Ipsos Moi poll, showing that he was polling worse than Jeremy Corbyn at this point in his leadership. Yes, and perhaps more significantly, more less than Andy Burnham now, which um, is the direct comparison, I think, for people in the Labour Party who are wondering what to do about any of this. Um, historically, the Labour Party is very uh, slow to remove its leaders, so uh, I don't think he's uh, under much threat at this point. But um, it's... Uh, He's not had a great few weeks and, you know, this is a chance to uh, cheer up the troops behind him and get things back on track. Yeah, they've all had a busy time since we were last here. Keir Starmer's uh, met Piers Morgan and Boris Johnson's got married. So if either of those things come up as we go live to the House of Commons, PMQ's unpacked. This is Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This is the first PMQ since the Prime Minister and Carrie got married. So can I offer my warm congratulations to the Prime Minister and his wife and wish them a happy life together. I have to say I admire the way they managed to keep it secret. Can I join with the Prime Minister on his comments about Carers Week? And can I also send our deepest sympathies to the four people killed in Sunday's terror attack in Canada? It was, as the Canadian Prime Minister said, an attack motivated by hatred and Islamophobia, and we must all unite against that at home and abroad. And can I ask the Prime Minister to pass on our thoughts and condolences to the Canadian Prime Minister when he sees him later this week? Mr Speaker, why does the Prime Minister think that his now former education adviser, Kevin Collins, described the government's education plan as half-hearted, that risked failing thousands of children, hundreds of thousands of children, and not being even close to meeting the scale of what is needed? Mr Speaker, first of all, I want to thank uh, Kevin Collins for his work, and, uh, but above all, I want to thank actually uh, pupils, parents, teachers for everything they've done throughout this uh, pandemic, and the struggle has been enormous, and, and actually what the government is doing is, in addition to the £14 billion, the extra £14 billion we committed, taking uh, per pupil funding in primary schools up to £4,000 per head, uh, in, in secondary schools up to £5,150, we're now putting another £3 billion into educational catch-up with the biggest tutoring programme anywhere in the world, Mr Speaker, and it is based, it is based on the best evidence uh, that we could find and that Sir Kevin could supply. Okay, let's just jump in there. As expected, uh, because Labour have got an opposition day debate this afternoon on education, Keir Starmer's sort of getting ahead of that and using all the best lines he can uh, now. Well, and inserting himself into the story so that when, if it gets covered on the news later, it's him rather than his shadow education secretary <laughs> who's the one doing the quotes. Um, this is another thing that has happened since, since the Commons uh, last met. Uh, Kevin Collins, um, the uh, Prime Minister's advisor on how to get children to catch up, said we need £15 billion. Um, uh, Rishi Sunak said you could have one and a half billion pounds. Gavin Williamson was sent out to defend it all. Um, it's a tricky one, this, isn't it? Because you can't, although Boris Johnson claiming they're the biggest tutoring scheme in the world, probably a reflection. Well, which of, may or may not be the case. Yes, um, but it's also maybe that's just a reflection but, that other people have not very big uh, tutoring schemes. Um, uh, it's weird how education just isn't. It isn't really a thing for this government, is it? There's not a big education idea. Well, I mean, it, not, it wasn't that long ago that we were being briefed by Downing Street that this was Boris Johnson's, you know, top priority and the thing he was most concerned about in the wash-up from coronavirus. So uh, it does seem like delivering one-tenth of what was asked for is 
is poor, but at the same time, you know, it's at 15 billion is a heck of an ask um, from an external advisor. You, you'd have to think as, as the government that if you pick that external advisor, you may have picked the wrong one. If he comes back <laughs> with a demand for 15 billion quid. Uh, not a few ministers in this government say, well, you know, he spells his name Kevan, and if he you know, uh, we've got this chap who can't even spell his own name properly. Uh, uh, which, <laughs> wow! Uh, which now seems like a little bit of a harsh sort of uh, thing to say, but um, uh, that's how, that's how they're sort of saying he didn't quite read the room. I think it's fair to say. Um, uh, yeah, and and uh, Rishi Sunak's big problem is that if he gave into this request, then the next time there's going to be a request that the NHS needs more money, or the justice system needs more money, or what you know, everything has been affected by coronavirus. But anyway, the speculation is we may end up with a new education secretary later in the year, and he may find some of this money. At which point, uh, whoever that person is, Sajid Javid, is tipped to return in the, uh, and uh, get some more cash out of them. I'm sure they can find something else for Gavin Williamson to do. Let's go back to the House of Commons. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, let me get this right. In February, the Prime Minister appoints an expert to come up with a catch-up plan for education. He's a highly respected expert, consults widely and comes up with a plan. The Treasury balks at it and says we'll only provide 10%, yes, one-tenth of what's needed. The Prime Minister rolls over whatever he says and children lose out. So much for levelling up. Let me help the Prime Minister with the numbers. The funding he announced last week is about £50 per child per year. And even if you add in previous announcements, even if you add in previous announcements, in England it's only £310 per child over four years. Yet in the US there's a catch-up plan worth £1,600 per child. And in the Netherlands it's £2,500. So can the Prime Minister explain, when he was told by his expert that he appointed that only an ambitious, fully funded catch-up plan would do, only an ambitious, fully funded catch-up plan, why did he come up with something which, in the words of that same expert, is too small, too narrow and too slow? Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I think that uh, the Right Honourable Gentleman needs to do the maths because uh, actually and he needs to, to, to do some catch-up on his own mathematics uh, because uh, in, a, in addition uh, to the 14 billion I've already referred to, Mr. Speaker, there was already another one and a half billion of catch-up. This is a three billion pound catch-up plan, just for starters, Mr. Speaker, and it includes the biggest programme of tuition of one-to-one, one-to-two, one-to-three tutorials anywhere in the world. And we all know, Mr. Speaker, that there are there are schools uh, in this country, classrooms in this country, uh, where children are getting uh, private tutorials, private tuition, thanks to the hard work of their parents. He asks about levelling up. What we want to do is get on the side of all the kids who don't have access to that tutorial, Mr. Speaker, to support them. That's what I mean by levelling up, Mr. Speaker. Well, there we are. Uh, let us know what you think about that. Eight seven trouble two. Start your message with the word Times. You can tweet us at Times Radio. Um, first thing I want to do uh, there, Tim. Um, uh, Boris Johnson said he was going to give Keir Starmer a maths lesson, and I think he might have then got his numbers wrong. He talked about the fourteen billion he'd already announced. I think it was one point four billion, isn't it? Uh, yes. Um, once again, ten percent of uh, what was <laughs> promised. Um, the uh, the thing that caught my ear was that some of the tuition was one to one, and then one two two. So perhaps you you get addressed with it as well. <laughs> Um, this is, uh, I suppose, is it an important um, issue? Does it work to start rattling out all those figures? Because we went from £50 to £310 per child. But then you do look at what 
Joe Biden's planning in America, £1,600 per child. Well, there's obviously a distinction between how much is going on tuition and how much is going on the wider package uh, of uptick. That's the first thing to point out. And secondly, I mean, no, Boris Johnson's just trying to survive six questions. And if that involves uh, sending out a blizzard of numbers uh, to fill the time, then uh, that's clearly his plan today. Yeah, um, his idea, read out a lot of numbers and then Joe Biden's arriving in a few hours. Exactly, and, that's and then that'll be, be on the, the top of the, tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's see if uh, Keir Starmer can generate some more news with question three. Who does the Prime Minister think he's kidding? He asked Kevin Collins to tell him what was necessary to catch up. Kevin Collins told him and he said no. Who does he think he's kidding? Yeah. The Chancellor's shaking decision, his head and I assume there. it was the Chancellor's decision, it always is, to hold back the investment that's needed is a completely false economy. The long-term costs are likely to be at least £100 billion, probably more. And who will be hardest hit, Prime Minister? Kids from disadvantaged backgrounds. Mr Speaker, if the government doesn't change course, this will hold Britain back for a generation. And here's the difference between us and them. Because when Labour says education is our number one priority, we mean it. That's why we published, we published a bold £15 billion plan to catch up on education for every child. We're putting that to a vote this afternoon. If the Prime Minister is really serious about this, he'd back that motion. Will he do so? Uh, just to jump in there, one interesting thing is he's clearly trying to pin it on uh, Rishi Sunak. We've talked about this before, about Labour Party every so often sort of dabbles with uh, going after the Chancellor, who remains hugely popular. Yeah, that's right. Um, and um, I mean, Boris Johnson's popularity ratings have picked up of late, but uh, there was a time where um, it was uh, Johnson sort of uh, in, in free fall and Sunak was the, the most popular minister in the government. And, uh, you know, there's a part of Keir Starmer that just wonders at the back of his mind whether he might be up against Rishi Sunak at the next general election. I think most Conservatives think that's pretty unlikely at the moment. But uh, uh, I think they think if they can damage Sunak that helps in damaging uh, the Tories corporately. Um, and, yeah, they've uh, they've tried it a few times. It doesn't seem to have done a great deal uh, uh, of good so far. But, uh... <laughs> it's interesting that Keir Starmer now saying that education is Labour's number one priority. If you just give that a Google, previously his number one priority has been tackling anti-Semitism, uh, Scotland's recovery, uh, it taxing the top 5% of earners, and Labour's top priority is financial responsibility, he said uh, back in... So they've had quite a lot of... Uh, and I think he priorities. told Piers Morgan some other things as well about dignity and all that sort of thing. So, oh, yes, so that was the sum-up Labour in one word and he got a sort of... Well, you know, I mean... Mangled, leaders of the opposition do flit about. Um, uh, sometimes the public picks up on that, sometimes uh, they don't, but... Um, well, part of the reason why they're flitting about is because people don't, aren't noticing what they've flitted onto. So no, and also, you know, they're else. having this this big debate about their £15 billion plan. I don't think most people have probably noticed that so far either. Um, he said it was a £15 billion per pupil plan, which really is very generous. <laughs> Oh, that's a lot of. I mean, that's that's a lot of computers. Uh, well, let's go back and see how Boris Johnson reacted to the. Uh, will he stand up for the Chancellor? I'll tell you that, Mr. Speaker. I'll tell you the difference between uh, us and the and the party opposite is that we put in the tough measures that are needed to give kids a better education across the country. When we rolled out the academies program, Mr. Speaker, which have driven up standards across the country, who opposed it? They did. When we put in tough measures uh, to ensure discipline in schools, Mr. Speaker. 
they opposed it. They, 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 at the last election, Mr. Speaker, they even campaigned to get rid of Ofsted, which is so vital. But they did. They did. He stood on a manifesto to get rid of Ofsted. Will he now say? Will he now say that he not only supports our uh, our tuition programme, but he supports our radical programme to support teachers with better training? Four hundred million pounds we're now putting in, not only a, a starting salary for teachers of thirty thousand pounds, which we've introduced, but another four hundred million to support better training for teachers. That's what we're backing in our party. They are serious, costed reforms and are based on evidence, unlike anything he's producing. Let's hear the speaker. What's he got to say? Let's shout him from the south. Just to say, just to remind the Prime Minister, his Prime Minister's questions, it isn't about the agenda of last general election. Yeah. Well, that's quite interesting. That I mean, uh, there was a blizzard of numbers there from uh, Boris Johnson. If you could add all of those up, the money per people, people, the, that you get as a teacher, his tuitions program. Interesting. Boris Johnson now claiming the academies program as well. It was uh, a bit like Michael Gove standing at the dispatch box in about 2010, wasn't it? Saying, "Look at my academies program, discipline in schools." Yeah. Um, and you opposed it all. And Boris Johnson is extremely adept at wriggling out of any responsibility for things David Cameron did. Um, and yet he's still trying to put on Keir Starmer, you know, you guys in the past, years and years ago, opposed all these things. Um, and now, interestingly, he is standing on the old Conservative <laughs> well, uh, education the, reforms. The, the uh, Conservatives in power haven't really done anything that dramatic on schools since Michael Gove was the education So We've had a lot of people pass through that. Uh, department since. That's right, and a lot of them, frankly, placatory to the teaching unions and, and, and have been there to keep the issue quiet. Gavin Williamson, for good or ill, is the most high-profile uh, education secretary, one that people have an opinion about more than any other since Michael Gove, I, I mean, would for say. good or ill is probably quite a good way of putting it. Uh, let's go back to uh, Keir Starmer with the comments. The Prime Minister, Ofsted, was not the question. I'm not interested in what they put on the agenda. I'm more interested in you answering the question. Keir Starmer. I mean, that's just... just I didn't realise it was still Lindsay Hoyle going there. It's quite... I mean, it, it's not a, a, a terrible thing for Boris Johnson to point out what Labour's policy was at the last election, was it? Uh, no, I would... I mean, it's pretty standard fare for PMQs over the two and a bit decades I've been watching it. So, um... Uh, interesting that Hoyle feels the need to do that. I mean, the general perception is that he's a more reasonable and less sort of uh, grandstanding kind of figure than John Burko was. Tories are broadly more sympathetic to him. But, in in you know, there have been a few examples of this in recent weeks where he's tried to sort of fire a bit of grape shot across the Prime Minister's nose just to get him to kind of uh, uh, keep him honest. Um, it'll be interesting to see how... Uh... Boris Johnson doesn't look very happy. He's sort of holding his hands up in a sort of, what, what are you talking about sort of way. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's now go back. Oh, come on. Uh, let's go back now to Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, let me take this very slowly for the Prime Minister. The Collins Review, commissioned by the Government, was very clear. If the Collins proposed action is not taken, the attainment gap will rise between 10 and 24%. That was on a slide shown to the Prime Minister last week. And he talks about the various measures, so let's look at this more closely. Which part of our plan does he oppose? The plan that's being voted on this afternoon. Is it... Breakfast clubs for every child, does he oppose that? Is it quality mental health support in every school, does he oppose that? Is it more tutoring for every child that needs it, does he oppose that? Or additional investment for children who have suffered the most? Which part of our plan does the Prime Minister object to, and if he doesn't object to it and agrees with it, why doesn't he vote for it? Well, presumably he won't be allowed to answer, because he's not allowed to discuss Labour's policy on anything. <laughs> 
looking at, yes he's sort of looking peeved there i mean we're now they're now chucking their own plans at each other and saying which bit of my plan don't you like um and we're not going to get a straight answer from either of them about the other person's plan no particularly when one of the questions is do you like breakfast anyway let's see what boris johnson's response was uh, Mr. Speaker, I, I think I'm, with great respect, Mr. Speaker, I do think I'm entitled to draw attention uh, to what the Labour Party uh, stood on at the last election. And that was, and they haven't yet repudiated it, uh, they did want to get rid of Ofsted, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, but uh, I, will, I will tell the right honourable gentleman that if he is now saying that he supports our tutoring programme, and that's what I think I, I understood from, uh, from him just now, that that is, a, that is a good thing, because hitherto, Hitherto, what has happened is that the, the, the kids of, of well-off parents, thanks to their hard work, have been able to rely on private tutoring. What the government is now doing is coming in on the side of all the other kids who don't get access to that tutoring. Six million kids, six million children, Mr Speaker, six million children will have access to, to tuition thanks to this programme. It is a fantastic thing. It is a revolution in education for this country. If he's now saying that he supports it, Mr Speaker, then that's a good thing, though I've learnt in the course of the last year that his support can sometimes be evanescent, Mr Speaker. Well, I think that response was much like the last Speaker, one, so let's just go straight to Keir Starmer again. He's here for the other kids. The report says the attainment gap will go up between 10 to 24% if the action isn't taken. He's just rejected it. How can he be on the side of the other kids? Come off it. We've been here before. Free school meals, U-turn, exams fiasco, U-turn. Now catch up. The Prime Minister's been all over the place when it comes to education. And he's on the wrong side of it again. Mr Speaker, I now want to turn to this week's G7. This will be the first major summit of the since the recovery. The UK needs to lead, not just to host. The priority must, of course, be a clear plan to vaccinate the world. As the Delta variant shows, nobody is safe from this virus until everybody is safe. The Prime Minister has made big promises on this, but it needs a truly global effort to make it happen. So will the Prime Minister take the lead at the G7 and do whatever is necessary to make global vaccinations a reality? Uh, my hunch is he's going to say yes. Yeah, that, I mean, to me, that's an extremely softball question. Um, I mean, and a, a, frankly, a, a tees up... Tory MP could ask Yeah, that. no, exactly. I mean, that really quite curious wording. I mean, so, yeah, it's fine. Say lead, don't just host. But Boris Johnson will definitely be boasting about leading and he'll have examples and he'll say that's what we're going to do. Um, I, I think that's a, a bit of a gift, really. Uh, but maybe he's teeing up something else. Let's find out how Boris Johnson responded to that quite soft question. Yes, indeed, Mr Speaker. <laughs> oh, I mean, actually, I think uh, what the people of this country also understand is that uh, not only uh, were we able to give one of the first authorizations uh, for the AstraZeneca, uh, back, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, but also, uh, thanks to the deal the government did between the Oxford scientists uh, and AstraZeneca, we were able to ensure that one uh, in three of the 1.5 billion doses that have been distributed around the world are the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. That is global Britain in action to say nothing of the billion vaccines that we hope to raise from the G7 this week. Uh, that's a figure that you'll be hearing a lot about uh, as the weekend progresses. They're looking for a billion uh, vaccines from uh, well-off countries to help those in, in poor parts of the world. Um, let's go back and see how Keir Starmer winds this all up. And then I want to speak to you about the G7 uh, as well, Tim. But let's hear Keir Starmer's last question. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, that would sound a lot better if the Prime Minister wasn't the only G7 leader cutting his aid budget. Yeah. I hear what the Prime Minister says about vaccines. 
but we also need clear global agreement and global funding. Hundreds of former leaders, businesses and development groups have called for exactly that kind of leadership at the G7. And that's what we need to see from the Prime Minister this weekend. Mr Speaker, the G7, bilateral discussions with President Biden and the possibility of a new government in Israel also provide a real chance to restart a meaningful Middle East peace process. The appalling violence recently, which killed 63 children in Gaza and two children in Israel, shows just how urgent this is. For too many people in Palestine, the promise of an end to the occupation and a recognised sovereign Palestinian state feels more distant than ever. So will the Prime Minister take the opportunity this weekend to press for renewed international agreement to finally recognise the state of Palestine alongside a safe and secure Israel, to stop the expansion of illegal settlements and to get a meaningful peace process back up and running? Mr Speaker, it's been a long-standing objective of this Government and I think it's common ground across this House that the solution for the Middle East peace process is a two-state solution that we continue to press uh, for that, and uh, we, I've made that position plain in my conversations both with the Palestinian Authority and, of course, uh, with, uh, with Israel. Uh, Mr Speaker, he, he, he attacks uh, the government, uh, I think, for failing to be sufficiently ambitious in our overseas aid uh, spending. I think I heard him say that in that uh, compendious, in that compendious <laughs> question. Uh, and I, let, me, let, let me just tell him, well, he's, 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 gesturing, he's gesturing at these benches, uh, Mr Speaker. Under this government, uh, we've spent more and we continue to spend more uh, than Labour ever did. Yeah. Labour ever did. Under, under Blair, under Brown, uh, even when they were spending money on Brazilian dancers in Hackney uh, to raise consciousness, uh, to, which is what they did to raise consciousness of global uh, poverty, Mr Speaker, we are spending £10 billion a year at a time of acute uh, financial difficulty uh, for this country, and I think the British people know uh, that that is the right priority for this country. And I think, and, it, and, if, and if, uh, if Labour members want to vote on that matter, Mr Speaker, then may I just remind them that the people of this country had an opportunity to vote on the way the government is handling it uh, last month uh, and uh, the balance uh, that we were striking, and I think that they adjudicated firmly in the favour of the government, Mr Speaker. They pontificate, they pontificate and prevaricate and procrastinate. Felicity Kendall, come on! <laughs> Even. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, well, that, well, that was a, a severe ending to uh, PMQ's uh, the main exchange there with um, uh, the common speaker Lindsay Hall accidentally calling Felicity Kendall, who is not unfortunately uh, uh, going to appear in the House of Commons. He's actually trying to call Felicity Buchan, who is the MP, the Tory MP for Kensington. Uh, although, I mean, that made about as much sense as the rest of it. I mean. <sighs> There were lots of numbers on schools. Everyone thinks their plan is best. Uh, a nice, easy question on vaccinating the world. Keir Starmer then raised the fact the government is cutting the aid budget ahead of the G7, but then drifted off into something about the Middle East peace process. Yeah, and I th but I thought that was quite interesting. That, smack, that question, that last question uh, with Starmer doing Palestine, smacked very much of ticking a box that he needs to tick with the left of his party, who for whom this is the driving political issue, um, uh, outside our shores, and for some of them, um, the most important issue in the world. Um, and he would be getting a lot of grief for not bringing it up um, uh, if he doesn't month after month after month. And he can now say that he has, and it, you know, it's a week when we're looking at Britain on the world stage and international issues. 
Uh, why not raise it? Um, he would have been asked to do so by his shadow foreign affairs team, and it's the kind of thing that uh, ticks a box with the, the people on the left. Um, it didn't amount to a hill of beans today, but, you know, when they say, why do you never bring this up, uh, Mr Starmer, he can say now that he has. Um, I suppose the big thing is why he didn't make more of the aid cut. Theresa May is actually sitting... So Theresa May is one of the... All the former prime ministers have criticised the government for cutting the aid from 07 to 0.5% of uh, GDP. Theresa May is in the House of Commons and is down on the, the order paper. It's just quite a long way down, so she might not get a question, but we'll, we'll bring it to you if she does. But um, but a pretty firm response from uh, from Boris Johnson there, saying we're still spending 10 billion quid. Um, and he knows, frankly, that the public are on his side on this one, and particularly the voters uh, that he's stolen from the Labour Party um, in those northern seats. Um uh, they think charity begins at home, uh, all the polls show. And, um, you know, he's got uh, a robust argument to make on that. Interestingly, all this vaccine diplomacy we're about to do, we've got this summit coming up. We're going to be chucking, you know, more than 100 uh, million jabs at the, the developed world and we can score all that against the development budget. So actually, the thing that the Tory MPs are all complaining about, the development budget dropping to 0.5% of national income, it's actually not going to be. It's going to creep back up above 0.6 towards 0.7 anyway as a result of all this vaccine diplomacy. Which ends up partly thinking of what was the point. So are you, you're presumably packing your bags and head over Cornwall? I'm jumping on the media chartered train at um, Sparrow's What's It tomorrow morning. Some of us are driving down tomorrow afternoon. What can we actually expect from it? You've, you've covered a few of these now. Uh, what does success look like for Boris Johnson come Sunday afternoon? Well, I think you want some agreements on the big things. They will hopefully, um, you know, they'll walk away with uh, something on vaccines, something on climate change um, that tees things up for the COP summit later in the year. He'll be trying to use the first summit to make a success of the second one. Um, and what he'll most be hoping for is not to be embarrassed by the leaders of France or Germany, or particularly President Biden over Brexit. They sent David Frost, the, the Brexit minister, down there to try and bend people's ears and say, uh, you know, these are the facts and this is what we need. Um, a lot of these summits are about dodging awkward moments. The great thing for Boris Johnson is that the thing that most leaders live in fear of at these things are some sort of embarrassing pictures of larking about or... Uh, you know, looking silly in daft costumes. Boris Johnson revels in that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, he can turn up, he can mush up his hair, he can put on a silly pair of shorts. If he's caught emerging at six o'clock in the morning from, from the ocean uh, with his capacious um, uh, skin on display... Um, that won't bother him in the slightest, whereas if it were David Cameron, he would have been, you know, hideously embarrassed by all that. So a lot of the stuff that a lot of leaders worry about bounces off Boris Johnson. But what he won't want is Joe Biden standing at a podium and saying things that are awkward about trade or about Brexit or uh, about the Northern Ireland peace process. Um, that's what he's really got to look out for, I think. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from? <laughs>